Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you. It is living and it is active. It is alive. Father, we just confess your word this morning, John 8, that it brings freedom. You said we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Father, I just pray today, as Matthew 7, 28, that I speak as one with authority, uh, your authority, Lord, on your word. Father, I just confess, Luke 24, 32, that as we open the scriptures, our hearts burn within us because we're learning about you and we're hearing your word. In the name of our Lord and our best friend, Jesus, and if you agree, would you just say, Amen. Amen. We will review just for a few minutes, just to catch you up today, this has been an awesome, awesome series. I have loved this series. Uh, I don't really care if you have liked it or not. I have really liked it. It has been such a blessing to me. So we'll start out with our text scripture like we do every week. And I don't take about five minutes and just review, kind of catch you up to date. Check out the podcast. This will help you out. Psalm 78 and verse 6. I love this passage. It says, we are to do and invest in God's kingdom so the next generation would know the statutes of God. We're talking about generation adjusters. How many of you would like to make a difference for the Lord? How many of you would like to make a difference so when you die and you leave this earth, people say they made a difference for the Lord? They didn't just get up, eat breakfast, go to work, and then you know do what they did and then sleep. Get up, eat, go to work and then sleep. I want it to be said of me that I made a difference for the Lord, that I adjusted a generation. Everybody in the room, you may not have the gift to sing, you may not have the gift to speak, but everybody in the room has something on the inside of you where you can adjust a generation, even if it's your own children. You may think, well, I can't adjust a generation. If you have influence with children in your home, if you have influence with maybe neighborhood children, you can adjust that generation. It may not be an entire generation, but as a dad, I'm responsible to adjust the generation that is in my house. It says, so that the next generation would know the statutes of God, even the children not yet born, that they would in turn tell their children, I can live in such a way and have such a walk with God that it's something real in my children's heart, and they pass it down to their children. You know the problem with many children is they know the mother church, but they don't know Father God. And I'm determined to have my children have a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus, not just because mommy and daddy do, but because they have a real walk with Jesus. Notice this in verse 7, Psalm 78. Verse 7 says that the children would put their trust in God, that they would not forget His deeds, but they would keep His commands. And then we noticed in verse 8, the Scriptures tell us that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn, rebellious generation. As I look around and watch the news, which... I'm becoming increasingly disheartened with the news of every channel. Of every, The only news that I can almost barely tolerate now is CBN, the Christian news, because at least they put a godly perspective on it. And I'm not endorsing this or that or the other, but I'm telling you, I will be just wanting to watch the news, and I'll just have to turn it off because I'm so grieved in my heart with what's going on in this generation. There's an assault on godliness. There's an assault on values. There's an assault on freedom from every front. And it's not just the, the terror threat is not just overseas. The terror threat of what we're facing, not maybe violence, but what we're facing in our nation, we're at a critical point. We need to pray and ask the Lord to help us and heal our land. Bring us back together in unity. This is not political. This is godly because we're living in a generation that is rebellious, 
Their hearts are not loyal to God and their spirits are not faithful to Him. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a job to do. Would you look at your neighbor and say, you have a job to do? We have a job to do. So real quick, our media team is going to help me with my review. I picked a few things that I want to discuss. Let's go into the next slide where we begin to give you some gems to being a generation adjuster. Some gems to being a generation adjuster. We talked about giving yourself wholly to God. We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, letting God have all of you, not asking, can I have more of God, but God, will you take more of me? Giving yourself wholly to God. And then we began to talk about getting closer to God through consecration. We did 21 days of prayer and fasting. There are some functions of fasting that we talked about. You'll notice these on the screen. Fasting was common in the Old and New Testament. Fasting is invitational, meaning God's not going to make you and force you to fast, but it's an invitation. Fasting is a grace. God helps us in our weakness. When are we at our weakest? When we're fasting. And the Bible says, when I'm weak, he is strong. Fasting strengthens my body and my mind and my spirit. My soul is strengthened when I fast and draw closer to God. And then fasting increases my humility. So we talked about giving ourselves wholly to God. We talked about getting closer to God. Then last week, we talked about going where God sends you. When God puts a call on your life, we have to obey. And you may not physically pack up and move to a foreign country. You may not move to the Philippines. You may not physically pack up and move to another land. But in our heart, in our mind, we have to ascend to the place like Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet said, here I am, Lord, send me. God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Be careful what you say. You might get called, amen? But we need to have that position in our heart. Remember Paul said in Acts 20, he said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I finish the course. And then we gave you three components of the call. Check this out. Man, I love alliteration. It is awesome. Praise God. Three components is the calling is clear. We have a clear mandate in the scriptures to be a generation adjuster. And then we have a compelling cause. The cause of Christ is one that compels us. The Bible says the love of Christ compels us. If you've ever bumped into someone, rubbed shoulders with someone who is hurting and broken and down and out, who doesn't have hope, you understand the cause is compelling. And then we have a Christian challenge. Unlike anyone else, we were called to, to mentally and, and to be willing to forsake all to follow Jesus. But we talked about the reward. There's a tremendous reward. So I want to jump back in now today to being an extravagant, generous giver. We're going to talk about number four, and this is so awesome. Now, immediately when we talk about giving, how many of you start thinking about the Benjamins, the dollar bills? And that's a part of it. That's an element, but there's so much more you can give other than money. Say this with me. Say, there's more that I can give than just money. So if you're in this house today and don't have any money, that's good news. Amen. There's more that can be given than just money. Now, we're not downplaying money. Money is important. I thought we were going to get to the treasure part today, but it's actually going to be next week because I just kept writing and kept developing, and the Lord just kept growing these things in my heart. So we're going to talk about being a giver, generous giver. The first way that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we'll just touch back on it, is giving encouragement, giving life-giving words. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can build up with your words, or you can cut down and you can tear down. You can lift up and edify, or you can really cut. How many of you would say, honestly, I've been cut by words before? Man, words pierce you. As a husband and wife, let me just help you. And as a family, this is free. This is not in the notes, Heather. This is free. 
don't ever say things that you can't take back. Meaning, I, I, when I do marriage counseling, I counseled with Preston and Adrian, and, and I told them, don't ever say things out of anger that you will regret. I, did, I was honored to do their premarital pre, Somebody help me. How do you say premarital counseling? Thank you. This is my first time public speaking, ladies and gentlemen. I helped them in their premarital counseling, and I said, don't ever say the words, I hate you. Because you say that out of anger. I wish we'd have never got married. Well, you may come back the next day and be like, hey, baby, I was just kidding. I really didn't mean that. You can never take those words back. Honestly, and I say this before the Lord with a good heart, and I'm so proud of this. My wife and I have been together since 2001. We've been married since 2005. You can do the math. I have never said the words, I hate you, or I wish we've not been married. Hey, you know, my mama told me if I could ever find a girl that would put up with me, I needed to marry her, amen? So my wife is stuck in loving it because not too many people can put up with me. And I don't say that condemning if you've said those things because you can't change your yesterday, but you can change your future. Your words matter. And what happens is over time, 15 years of saying, I wish we'd never got married. Why did I do this? Why will I hate you? And, oh, baby, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. You know I really love you. Well, you have created a wound that never really actually heals. Now, no condemnation. You can't do anything about your past, but we can move forward. If I can help your marriage be better tomorrow, how me know that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, again, watch your words. Be a person who, I think you'll see it on the screen, number one, give life-giving words. And we're going to jump in today to our next uh, passage. Let's look at our scripture in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, we're talking about being a generous person, having a generous life. How many of you know somebody, maybe it's you, you would say, this person really has a generous life. Man, I know people like that. I know people, they just have a generous, giving life. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty four, one of my favorite scriptures of all, it says, there's one who scatters, yet increases all the more. I love that. I love that wording, all the more. There's one who withholds what is justly due, and it results in only want. Verse 25, the generous man, the generous person will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. If we're going to adjust a generation, if we're going to make a lasting difference, if we're going to make a mark that can't be erased, we have to be one who waters others, one who sows generosity. We have to give freely, and the Bible promises a reward. So be, be generous with praise and be stingy with criticism. Criticism can be important. I'm teaching a little basketball team. I'm coaching a little basketball team for my son, Noah. I'm a first-year coach. It's, they don't know that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I can fake it till I make it, amen? Thank God for YouTube and basketball training videos. So don't, y'all pray for my little team. I told George, I said, I feel like they're getting worse. Like the, the, more, I, <laughs> the more I try to help them, it's like the worst we're doing. But, but we're trying, we're trying. And so we were doing layup drills the other day. And, and I'm real big on praise. I told the parents, meeting number one, I told the parents, I said, look, I'm not promising you're going to win any games because I know me as a basketball coach. But I said, we'll be the most joyful team. We'll be the happiest team. They'll be the most encouraged. Even when they lose, I'm going to give them donuts. We're going to have a good time. They're going to get along. We're going to be a team. And we have. We really have. We haven't won many games, but we've had a good attitude about it. Praise God. I said, I can promise you that. But we did layup drills the other day. And, and me and one of our assistant coaches, we were watching them do layups. And each time they did a layup, we would stop them and we would bring them over. And we would tell them what they did wrong. 
and tell them how they can fix it. And one of our little guys heeded the criticism, took it, and he scored more points this game than uh, many games he scored all year. He, he was shooting the ball way over the goal, and he was actually doing a lot better this week because we gave him constructive criticism. But I've been very, very stingy with criticism. I've been very liberal with praise. And the fact that I believed in him and he was, he was, he's been praised all year, it opened the door for me to, to give a little bit of constructive criticism. So we need to learn to speak life into people. All right, number two, here we go. It's a good review. I get so fired up when I'm doing this review. It's like I'm preaching it for the first time, praise God. All right, number two, mercy and forgiveness. Somebody say, have mercy. mercy. This is going to really help you in, in a great way. One of the key virtues of a follower of Christ is mercy. That word mercy can also be translated compassion, can be translated forgiveness. How many know Christians aren't very admirable? Christians aren't very likable. Christians aren't very attractive when they are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, when they're holding grudges. Part of being a generous person is learning to forgive those who harm us and hurt us. Mercy, I want you to think about this, is a seed that we sow. Say that with me. Mercy is a seed that we sow. And we have to water that. We have to watch it grow. How many of you would be honest and say, at some point in my life, I've needed a little mercy? I've needed a little compassion? Man, it's, we're, we're quick to receive it, but are we quick to give it? Because it's, it's easy to hold grudges. It's easy to be rightly, justly mad and, and hold on forgiveness. But this is something we can give to people. Look at Matthew 5, 7. I believe it's in the Amplified Version. It says, blessed means content, happy, fortunate, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, I want you to notice the tense here of merciful. It's an ongoing, continuous tense, meaning this is something you don't outgrow. This is something that you never get away from. As long as you follow Jesus, you're going to be called upon to give mercy and called upon to give compassion. Notice this scripture in James chapter 2. I want to just show you the Bible today. Take good notes. Write these down. These are some of the best scriptures in all the Bible on mercy. It says, just remember you're going to be judged by the law that sets you free. That's the law of love. Now notice here verse 13. There will be no mercy. Somebody say, no mercy. Say it like the guy from, from Seinfeld. No mercy for you. Remember, no soup for you. You guys are a little older. No mercy for you. That was good. Carrie really has that down. It's, he was a little too excited about that. No mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Now, now this looks like, well, you mean I'm working for my salvation? You mean I'm working for God's forgiveness? No, because when your heart is touched by the Holy Spirit, you forgive. If God is really at work in your life, you'll show mercy because as our Father does, we do. He shows mercy and forgiveness. So as, as a believer in Christ, you will do that. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. If you've shown no mercy to others, you will not be shown mercy. But if you've been merciful, when God judges you, he'll be merciful on you. I mean, that's a pretty good swap. I mean, that's a pretty good incentive program right there to operate in compassion and love and forgiveness. This is something we can sow into the lives of others. Not only will forgiveness help other people, but it will really help you. It will really set you free. Look with me at Luke chapter 7. Remember the very sinful woman, I believe she was maybe called in some kind of adulterous act or something like that. I'm not sure scripture actually tells us, but we can put two and two together. Anyway, she was a very sinful woman. 
And she came and broke the very expensive perfume and began to anoint the feet of Jesus. You guys remember? And the Pharisees, the church people, condemned Jesus. They said, if you knew who was touching you, if you knew what a sinful woman was in your church today, you would have done something about it. If you knew what this woman had done, you wouldn't let her near you. You're a man. You're a rabbi. Don't you know how sinful she is? I love Jesus' response. This is so good. This is awesome. Watch this now. Jesus looked at him and said, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. I mean, you got to really love somebody to kiss dirty, nasty feet. That's why they did foot washing, because they walked everywhere. There was dirt and dust. It was a very humbling thing to kiss someone's feet. Anybody want to try right now? Anybody want to humble their self and come on up? Thank God you don't. Amen. <laughs> George, thanks for not coming up on that illustration. Amen. All right. Notice it's here. You neglected the courtesy... You neglected the very courtesy of putting oil on my head and anointing me, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I love this verse 47. I love how God speaks to me. When I read the Bible, stuff just comes alive. It's like, I don't know that anybody else thinks about scriptures like I think. It's like, notice this here. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. It's like, Jesus like, you're right. She's a sinner. I just, just picture Jesus. I'll tell you her sins. And they are many. I could just see Jesus interjecting a little sarcastic jab. You're right. She's got a lot of sins. <laughs> this is a pretty bad lady here. I'll tell you, her sins, they're many, but they've been forgiven. Wow. He could have just said, yeah, their sins are forgiven. She's like, yeah, you're right. Everything you said about her is true. She's guilty. But they have been forgiven. Now notice this. This is just so powerful. So she has shown me much love. Some of the best times we ever have a church of, of worship, and it shouldn't be this way, but it is, is, is sometimes when some of our ladies from Teen Challenge come. Man, it's like the energy is just electric. They're singing out loud. Jazz has to turn the monitor mix up so we can hear ourselves over them singing because they're so pray. They want to praise and sing because they've been forgiven of a lot. The problem with our churches, the reason churches are dead and dull, is because nobody remembers how much they've been forgiven. They've been saved for 30 years. Everybody they know is saved. They forgot of the grace and mercy that they needed, and they're boring. Not you guys. That's a church down the road. Carrie's <laughs> like, I remember my sin. Pretty clear. <laughs> Notice this here. But a person who's forgiven little, they only show a little bit of love. The reason I'm merciful and compassionate and forgiving because I've been forgiven of a lot. And one way that we can help in this process, so you ready? I'm going to help you now because oh, if I close your eyes, nobody's looking around, no pressure. How many of you raise your hands? I've been done really wrong before. Yeah, I've been really, really hurt. Yeah, all right, look back up at me. We must learn to pray for those who have hurt us. That's hard. You know how I know when I'm walking in forgiveness? Well, I can honestly pray for the person who hurt me. And it took, has taken me years before to get to that point with people who've hurt me. And, and I'm a pastor, and it's like taking me years to do this. It's like, I need to get it together. It's hard. But look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6. Jesus wasn't like just making a suggestion. He's given a command. Jesus wasn't saying... I mean, this is Jesus. He, he was about to go to the cross. He knew what was going to happen to him. He's setting. That's why on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
I've been praying, Father, strike them with lightning. I mean, <laughs> cause the ground to open up and make them all disappear. You would have too. Don't look at me so holy. I know what you would have been praying. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Let's say it all together. Ready? Read. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And it was exemplified by our Lord Jesus. So we've got to learn to forgive. Paul said, we won't read it, but Philippians 3, he said, I press on and forgive the things behind. And I press on towards the prize. We've got to press on. We've got to forgive. We've got to move on in love. And Paul was a Christian killer, but he had to press on. Look, Chambers, so you got to move on. You will never advance in your walk with God past the point of your forgiveness. And I say that not judgmentally, but it will be a rope that is holding you back if you harbor bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in your heart, which we all have done, which is easy to do, but it will limit your walk with God. You can certainly pray for him on the other side of the street. Sure, sure. Hey, and you know what? You know, you're right. Just because, let me say that. That brings a good point. You may forgive, but that doesn't mean you restore relationship. You, but you have to, in your heart, forgive. You may not even know where they live. They may not even be around anymore. You, you know, but you have to, in your heart, let it go so God can... See, that, that unforgiveness takes, takes a part of your heart. It takes space in your heart. Remember, God wants all of our heart. So if you have unforgiveness in there, there's a spot that God can't have. So you have to let it go. Sometimes it takes humility to go and say, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Husbands, try it with me. I'm sorry. Man, I was teaching my son the other day, Noah. Uh, I said, you need to go tell your sister you're sorry. And uh, he said, well, I'm not sorry. And I said, well, I, I said, well, at least you're honest. And I said, but part of being a man, that's what I said. I said, part of being a man is saying you're sorry, even when you're not. <laughs> that's part of, part of being a man, keeping the peace, amen. I said, well, you need to get sorry. And you know, he's like, I'm sorry. And it wasn't from the heart and all that, blah, blah, blah. But at least, it, you know, at least he was going through the motions. And, but it's not just saying I'm sorry. There's, there's a release. Forgiveness is a release. And it takes time. But listen, if you've been wounded by someone who broke your trust, don't go back and open that trust back up again. And that, that's okay. And that doesn't mean... You know, forgive and forget. No, I'm probably not going to forget. That scar is still there. I have scars from when I was a kid out messing around, playing around. I can tell you what each scar was. The wound is healed, doesn't hurt me anymore, but I still remember the scar. It's still there. So you don't have to restore relationship, but you have to give that piece of unforgiveness to the Lord, turn it over, and you have to let it go. Amen. That's good. All right. All right, so number one, we're going to give life-giving words. We're going to be generous with our words. Meshach does that. He's a good example of that. Number two, we're going to be generous with mercy. Number three, love this one. You all do so well at this. You're going to be generous in serving the church body. You're going to be generous in serving the church body. What do people think about you when they think of you? Do they think of someone who's always involved, maybe in church or always being around? I think of Angie and Carrie, man. When, when I think of them, I think of someone who's serving, being a blessing, always investing. Look, look with me at Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. This is a a really neat scripture that you would just overlook that you might pass up. But it says there's a believer in Joppa. Now, this is the word of God. This was written down for all the ages to come. So the things that are in here are very selective, very meaningful. I mean, every little thing that happened to everybody didn't get put in the book. This is like the hall of fame for people who did stuff right in Christianity. And so notice this here. There's a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in the Greek is Dorcas. I mean, you know, I don't think she went by her Greek name. <laughs> I heard a story of a preacher one time 
read this scripture, and he said, don't, don't you dare name your kid Dorcas and that. And he said, after the church service, true story, this sweet little old lady, about 80 years old, came up with her little cane, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he, she said, Mester, do you know what my name is? And he said, yes, ma'am, I do. Here's my wallet. You know, take my wallet. Just take it. Your name is Dorcas. And so it says, notice this here, Tabitha. Notice, notice what's said of Tabitha. What's said about you? What's said about James and LaDonna? What's said about Chad and Kelly? What's said about David? Notice she was always doing kind things for others. I think of Mary, our sweet Miss Mary. Always doing kind. Yeah, let's encourage Miss Mary. You know, when they say, what kind of pastor do you want to be? What kind of family do you want to have? What do you want your kids to be like? One, one verse, really, right here. They were always doing good. Now, that word always is a strong word. It doesn't mean like sometimes she was, sometimes she wasn't, always. Look at your neighbor and say, always in the Greek. Always. Means always. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Tabitha wasn't a minister. Tabitha wasn't a pastor. Tabitha wasn't some great apostle in the church. Tabitha wasn't probably extremely wealthy, but Tabitha served the body. And she's known for it. When I serve others, I'm serving Christ. Look at this PowerPoint for life. I love this. Serving is not what I do. It's who I am. Serving is not what I do. It's who I am. I am a servant of Christ. We should not just self-promote. Jesus said, deny yourself. Jesus invites us to take on the form of a servant. You know, we live in a a goat-oriented society. Y'all know what goat means? Greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time basketball player? Who's the greatest of all time football player? Who's the goat, the greatest of all time? And so God calls us not to be a goat, but he calls us to be a servant, a servant of all. Jesus was the greatest of all time, but look what the example that he gave us in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 41. I love these scriptures. Let me read them and I want you to go through this with me. So you, you may not know the context here, but James and John were arguing about who is the greatest among the 12. James and John were like, I'm his favorite. And they're like, John's like, no, I'm his favorite. And James is like, I'm going to sit beside him at the, in the kingdom at the coming. You know, I'm going to be his favorite. And, and they even got their mama. You, you read another version, translation, another uh, gospel. They even got their mother to ask Jesus, which one is your favorite? They brought mama into the picture. They were arguing. Now, do you think the disciples were men of God? Do you think the disciples were spiritual? They were arguing about who was Jesus' favorite. What a carnal bunch. Look at your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. <laughs> there's hope for you. What a carnal bunch of people. And look what, Je- look what Jesus did. In 41, hearing this, the other 10 began to feel indignant. The other 10 were like harboring bitterness and, and unforgiveness. And they were angry because they were, these two were trying to one-up each other. <laughs> Who was the favorite of Jesus? That's like with all my kids. Ava's my favorite oldest. Taste my favorite little boy. Noah's my favorite oldest boy. Now Lily and I say, you're my favorite middle girl. You know, and I tell it, I say, out of all the little girls in the whole world named Lillian, you are my favorite. And she says, oh, she says, you're out of all the big daddies in the world. You're my favorite. And I said, what? Say that again. I didn't hear that. Say that again. It's so sweet. And it's so fun. Out of all the little carries I know, you are my favorite. And I tell my kids this too. This is just so fun. Do this, tell them, and now they, 
it's a game we play, but I say, if I could pick any little girl, I'm talking to Lillian, to be my little girl, I say, I'd pick Ava. And she's like, no, Daddy, no. <laughs> and then I'll say, if I could pick all the little girls in the world, I'd pick Pap. And she says, Pap's not a little girl, blah, 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 blah. And I do that five or six times, and then I build it up and build it up. Finally, I say, I'd pick Lillian. I get the biggest hug in the world. Kids can be bald. Amen. They can be bald. What does that have to do with the sermon? I have no idea. But I've got the microphone, so I don't care. Hearing this, they were indignant. And look what Jesus said. He called them together. He said, boys, come here. Come here, boys. He, he, it's family time. We've got to talk. He said, you know that those who are recognized as leaders and rulers over the, the Gentile people, they lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But look at verse 43. It is not this way among you. You're leading in a different realm. You're influencing in a different way. You're leading in a different capacity. The greatest leader of all times is giving leadership examples. He said, it's not this way among you. He said, whoever wishes to become great. Now, let me, let me help your thinking here, okay? Let me change your thinking. Jesus did not scold James and John for wishing to be great. He did not deflate their aspirations. You should want to be great. You should excel. The Bible says whoever desires the office of an overseer means there's a heart desire to lead. There's a longing. It's okay to want to be great at what you do. It's okay to want to excel. Jesus said, I understand that you want to be great. I understand this desire. He said, whoever wishes to become great among you, say it with me, ready, must be your servant. Do you know how you become great in the kingdom of God? By serving. When God looks around, He doesn't look at the person in the biggest church or the most money or the nicest house or the nicest car. Nothing wrong with any of those things. He looks at the little old lady who serves and cooks. He looks at the people that bring breakfast on Sundays, like these folks. Man, this is my breakfast triangle right here. Thanks for bringing this stuff. Today. I didn't get to eat one, but I heard it was really good. Looks at... The, my, my mom, who brings cookies for the visitors, because I keep forgetting, and it's embarrassing that I don't have cookies. So thanks to my mom for bringing cookies. Looks at the people who show up to clean. We got people that emailed and volunteered and said, we'll help clean the church facility. You, you know, your, 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 your picture's not going to be on the website as the cleaner. Hey, I'm the cleaner, everybody. We're probably not going to spend $500 and do a Facebook ad, over 25,000 people announcing who our cleaner is today, you know? But it's important. God sees it. It matters. It matters to God. He said, if you want to be great, be a servant. All the kids in the house, all the students, listen, if you want to be great, it's not just schooling, not just education, not just profession. Those things are great. It's being a servant. It's something I'm trying to teach my kids. Whoever wishes to be great shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first, verse 44, shall be the servant of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, he said, boys, I'm Jesus. I'm the Son of God. Even the very Son of God did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life. Remember old little, the boy named David who became king? Remember that all of his brothers were fighting the army and David was too little, so he was back home and his, all, the, all the big boys were scared to death of the giant Goliath and his dad needed to send some lunch. He packed some cheese. 
that was the first grilled cheese, praise God. He packed a lunch and sent the lunch with David. And I see that little boy David coming to the battlefield. And his brothers are like, David, what are you doing here? You need to go back home. And his dad said, send his lunch. Take him a lunch. And so David says, brothers, I got you some lunch. What's going on? And, and they got the lunch and started eating. And David hung around. And David started looking. And they're like, David, you need to go home. It's dangerous here. We're trying to fight these giants. And David looked around and saw hundreds of men scared. And David said, what are you all afraid of? I can handle this giant. How did David get in position to fight Goliath? He packed a lunch. He, he brought the cheese. He cut the cheese. That's what I'm right on. He cut the cheese for his brothers. I don't know what y'all are thinking about. I just couldn't resist. I'm sorry. We might edit that one out of the video. Maybe not. How? How? It is. It's the eye. We'll blame it on the eye. How did David become great? He was just servant of all. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are a crazy bunch. Back to the Bible. Amen. Remember Jesus. Jesus, it is good preaching. Amen. Jesus at the Last Supper. Think about this. It's the Last Supper. What does the Last Supper mean? It's the Last Supper. The next day Jesus is crucified. The next day Jesus goes to the cross. It's the last time he has to influence his disciples. Listen to this. It's the Last Supper. What does the Last Supper mean? The next day's crucifixion. Jesus has a very short window to make a lasting mark on his disciples. And he leaves the meeting a little bit early. He says, boys, meet me at this house at such and such time. We're going to have dinner, share a meal together. And, and Jesus leaves early, strategically shows up, gets everything ready, and the, the disciples come in, and Jesus is sitting there with a towel and a bowl of water uh, prepared in advance. And he begins to wash their feet. And some of them resist, and Jesus says, I must do this. Jesus had very few teaching illustrations left. Jesus had very few lasting things to impart to his disciples. And what did he choose to do? He didn't take them out and give them a preaching class. He didn't take them out and teach them how to cast out more demons. He didn't take them out and even teach them how to feed the poor. Those are all great things. But he had a towel and he began to serve and wash their feet. That is one of the last memories they had of their Lord before he was crucified. Jesus with a towel. What do you think? How do you think they needed that memory as they went on out in ministry in the book of Acts, began to get a little fame, began to get a little notoriety? Never forget to carry a towel. You may have a platform. You may have influence. Never forget to carry a towel. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you've worked. Let that ring true in your heart. God will not forget how hard you've worked. Even when no one could see you, you didn't get any praise, you didn't get any accolades, God will never forget how hard you've worked and how you have shown your love to Him. How many of you like to see things in Scripture you've never seen before? Are you ready for this? You've probably never seen this. Maybe you have. How you have shown your love for Him. How many of you would like to show your love to God? I'm going to help you here. Are you ready? How you've shown your love to Him 
by caring for other believers. And as you still do. You know how I show my Heavenly Father how much I love Him? By staying up late and working on PowerPoints. By coming to church at 8 o'clock in the morning to make sure everything's set up and right. Even preaching is a way I serve you. I neglect family time sometimes to work and to study and to pray. And, and you call and say, hey, I need to move. I need help. Can you help me move? And we'll show up and we'll help you move. And hey, my yard's messed up. And can you do this and that? And, and you know how I show God I love him? By caring for other believers. Do you know how you show God you love him? By caring for other believers. So you got a person who doesn't care for believers? I'm sorry, you do not love God. I'm sorry. Well, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. You've judged yourself. I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm just, I'm just, you shall know them by their fruit, and your fruit stinks. You shall know them by their fruit, and your fruit's rotten. Thank God our church is not like that. Thank God you're not like that. Have you noticed this? Man, I just want to show you, God, how much I love you. It doesn't say giving money. It doesn't say how much you pray. It doesn't say how humble you live and what kind of house and all the things, how much you fast and all that. Do you know what shows God how much you love Him? By caring for other believers. Let that set you free. That's how we show God. Yes, pray. Yes, fast. Yes, give. But how do we show God how much we love Him? By caring for other believers. Isn't that awesome? How many of you have never seen that before? Man, that's so fresh. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. We'll let you go in just a second. Unless y'all want to keep going. I could, I could keep going all day. Never lag behind in diligence, but be aglow in the Spirit. Say this when you're ready. Enthusiastically serving the Lord. I don't want to force you into doing things. Man, I'll tell you, we had our little CARM outreach a couple of months ago for Thanksgiving, and Joyce was there. Man, she jumped right in. She began loving on people, signing up people, greeting them. She was enthusiastically serving the Lord. When I think about some of our volunteers in the nursery, who, you know, let's be honest, nursery duty is not like the most glamorous thing. You know, it's hard. But you know what? I look at our uh, prequest team, and, and they come, and they're ready to go, and they're enthusiastically serving the Lord. If we have to drag you by your hair kicking and screaming to do something, just don't do it. We'll find somebody else that's enthusiastic about it. Amen? Let's not do that. It's the heart. It's the heart behind I look at these teachers. we got Andrea in here. we got uh, Kaylee and some of you other teachers in the house. And even the medical field. James and LaDonna are in, in, in medical. And I'll, I'll look at some of these guys. Take your business world, and that's how you're serving. You can serve people. You can serve the body. Let's do it enthusiastically. Can people say about you, and we're going to close with this. Can people say that you are aglow with the Spirit? Can people say that you are diligent, enthusiastic? Can people say you are excited about serving the Lord? Let's be generous with life-giving words. Let's be generous with mercy and compassion. Let's be generous in serving the body, and we will make a major difference for the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's take a minute and pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your message to us this morning. And Lord, we just thank you for being here. In this